Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Kowski cast. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski. And I'm Hannah Elam. And today we're starting coverage of our newest show on the Kowski cast network, The Haunting of Hill House. Since Netflix is releasing season two of the Haunting series in October with The Haunting of Bly Manor, we wanted to take a look back at season one and talk about all our favorite moments. Today we're diving right in with the first episode in the series, Stephen Sees a Ghost. So since it's September now, and according to grocery stores and all of other department stores, apparently it's practically Halloween and we're allowed to talk about fall related stuff. And also because Hannah has been begging me to do this podcast for, <laughs> I don't know, like two years now, we, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about Haunting of Hill House because if you know me, you know that I hate horror films. <laughs> this is really not up my alley, but apparently it's really one of Hannah's favorite things. Hannah, why in the world do you like this show? So this show is not necessarily, I don't consider it wholly horror. I think that that there's a lot of character development that happens here. We get to know a lot about the family and about how things in your past can really traumatize you and affect you in the present. I don't know. I, like there are horror elements. And for me, like horror films, I think like Scream was one of my mom's favorite movies growing up. So I grew up seeing not like from a young age, but you know, I, I was introduced to horror films. Little five-year-old so. Hannah watching Scream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I don't know. I I just like the aspect of getting scared and about the creativity of thinking of what else could be out there and possibilities. And then I think also some of the things that we see in the show is not everything is what it seems, right? So things may seem to be really scary and and sometimes they are, but sometimes it's just our own lives coming back to haunt us. Oh, great. That's even better. Yeah, I do not love horror films. I mean, I've watched a lot of them and I'm at the point where I can finally appreciate them. I can appreciate the shining i there's some that i like i took a class in college on horror films to try and cure myself of my fear didn't really work it was it was not the opposite effect right yeah it just made me more scared probably but i at least have seen a lot of them for basically my whole life i just kind of avoided horror films i never went to go see them let me let me go through this hunch for you let me guess do you like spicy food i enjoy spicy food but i don't like it when i am not the best tolerant wise for spicy food like i like hot wings but if I start to lose feeling in my mouth and I get all like I don't like that feeling okay I like that that flavor but like for me I do not like spicy flavor like I have no desire in it I don't even want like I I get mild everything salsa whatever I don't want medium anything like that because I think that for a lot of people who like horror films it's similar to people who really like spicy food they like to not enjoy their content or food Uh, no, but they but they like they like some like pushback, some fear, maybe a little bit of pain, and and I mean you could sort of put in the same lump of that like people who enjoy thrill rides or whatever, which I do like, even though they terrify me. But I'm trying to change, and so my story with Haunting of Hill House. For those of you who don't know, Haunting of Hill House TV show on Netflix. If you've somehow clicked on this podcast but have no <laughs> background for it, you should watch it because it is one of the things that I put in that category of like horror esque things that I can appreciate because it's not it's not like you're saying I don't think it's meant to just scare you there's a lot of other elements that I find intriguing I watched the first episode because Hannah came and visited me in, shortly after this came out in 2018 for my 24th birthday and somehow we ended up watching the first episode which is just not what I wanted to do my birthday but she was like no you should watch it it's good I think it was another friend of ours also who was pushing for me to watch this and I really did like the format of 
this show. I think it's like you're saying, it, it does have a lot of character developments and really interesting filming styles. I am a big sucker for any kind of like book or movie or TV show that messes with timeline, jumps back and forth, just has an interesting way of conveying itself without being just completely straightforward. So I was pulled in and here's the thing. We're recording this podcast. I saw that first episode. I've seen the second episode. I've even seen the third. I'm pretty sure that's all I've seen though. I have not seen all of Haunting of Hill House. Hannah has, but but I've been saving it because I wanted to watch it as we podcasted about it. (laughs) Well, and I think something else to note too is that your personality, you do like to know more about things before you get into it. And people who listen to the Mary CU will also know that aspect a little bit. So there are some things that she does know about that we find out later on in the episodes, but there are still some mysteries that she has. Yes, I've looked on Wikipedia, but I, I'm not completely <laughs> spoiled yet. Well, this is going to be a fairly spoiler-free podcast for the most part. I mean, it's going to come out really quick, so I expect that most people will be watching the episodes along with us. But Hannah has seen everything. I have not. Yeah. And you've read the book too. Wait, have you? I... So talking about the book, which this series is based off of, The Haunting of Hill House, I started to read the book. I got like halfway through. It's not really anything at all like the movie. I think, I can't even remember, but right, the show starts off with talking about how the walls of Hill House, and I think that may be a quote from the book, but the characters are completely different. The reason why they're at the house is completely different. So there's not too many things, and I didn't get to the point where it was talking about the actual like mysteries of what happens in the house. So maybe there are some more connections further on. But from what I could tell, there wasn't like anything too deep connected between the book and the show. Okay, so if you follow any of my podcasts, if you listen to my Revenge podcast or my Riverdale, you know that I do like a nice opening quote. I did copy down the one from this episode because I don't know if this is a trend with Haunting of Hill House, if they do this every episode or if it's just this time. I don't believe they do it in the next one. But I am going to read this one because I do think it's really interesting. So the opening quote starts off, No live organism can continue to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed by some to dream. Hill House, not sane, stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood so for a hundred years before my family moved in, and might stand a hundred more. Within, walls stood upright, bricks met neatly, floors were firm. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there walked alone. I think in the portrayal of this, it's also probably supposed to be an excerpt from Steve's book, would be my guess. And it is because later on, the female who he's visiting quotes this back to him. Okay, gotcha. Yes. There's a lot in this first episode about dreams, a lot of quotes about dreams and dreaming. So Hannah, do you want to go through real quick how this episode and probably, I'm assuming, all the other episodes in the show are sort of structured? Yeah, sure. So with this show, we're seeing the crazy family in their summer at the Hill House. And then we're also seeing them at present day, which is assumed to be probably around 2018 time. And is that what do we expect, like 20 years later-ish? I would say at least 20 years because there's been a lot of development. They're married, have their own jobs. We also get some flashbacks of a little bit after their time at Hill House when they're younger and a little bit before the current time. One of the things that I also really loved about this show is that the past and the present 
didn't get connected by these sort of one-liners. In this episode, there's one line where Nell says, Dad, it's an emergency. And then we go to the present and Steven's like, with Nell, everything's an emergency. And so we have those connections. At the end, we're going to get kind of a full time frame of what happens when after they moved into Hill House, that's their time there. And then up until the present time, you know, it all kind of falls together. Gotcha. Okay, well, I'm excited to see how it all comes together. Because in this episode, it's a lot of introduction. There's a lot that follows Steven, who's, I believe, the oldest children. So there's, there's what, five kids in this family? Yes. Okay, so we got the mother and the father. And then there's Steven, who I think is the oldest, and then Shirley. Yep. And then Theo, probably. And then the two, the twins, who are Luke and Nell. Now, the, I just want to say this. An issue I have with this show is not only are there different actors, obviously, portraying the kids when they're very young. I think the oldest is maybe, like, Steve's probably supposed to be, like, 12 or something, maybe. And then flashing forward to when they're, you know, adults in their late 20s or 30s. But it's the fact that they also all have names that have multiple versions, except for Luke. Everybody else, it's like, sometimes it's Steven, sometimes it's Steve, sometimes it's Shirley, sometimes it's Cheryl, sometimes it's Nellie, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh. And I think Theo probably has a longer name too, right? Yeah, it's Theodora, and then Nell is short for Eleanor. Eleanor, interesting. And then sometimes they call her Nellie. So it's a little bit in my notes, it's like, ah, is it Nell or Nellie or Cheryl or whatever? (laughs) And I want to talk also about like the present day timeline, I think portrays itself like a, it comes across like a very sort of normal movie, TV show kind of style. It's very, it's like crisp, but you know, good quality. But the flashbacks, the first time I saw this and every subsequent watch, I get this same feeling, particularly in this episode, the colors are all way deeper and brighter and the shadows are darker. They almost look like it's very, very slightly animated. I don't know how to describe it other than that. It's almost like Uncanny Valley, especially with the dad, I find. It's not exactly like watching, you know, the Polar Express, but it's like if they, what you imagine animation to look like in maybe 10 years from now, where it's like, we've perfected it so much where it's almost realistic, but not quite. Like, everything just seems a little too smooth, a little bit too colorful. Yeah, I definitely get that feeling. I I agree that there seems to be something off with the dad, and even the mom who's played by Carla, and I'm not going to attempt to say her last name, but she's the mom who's from Spy Kids. Yes. She looks like she hasn't aged at all, right? They're, they are very young and like there's a youthful presence to them. But I think maybe part of what's happening with the dad is they may have removed some wrinkles in CGI afterwards or something. And so it made it look a little off there. I'm not sure though, because I've never seen that actor. So yeah, we have a couple notable people. Carla, I don't know, Gugino maybe? I'm not, I don't know how to pronounce her last name either. Yeah. But then the other one that I notice, of course, is Elizabeth Reeser, who's Shirley in the adult version and she played Esme on in the Twilight movies. So I'm in I'm in a very Twilight state of mind right now. And then <laughs> I uh, wonder why. Yeah, exactly. And what's interesting to me is that so I'm not a Game of Thrones fan and I don't think I've ever seen an episode, but immediately when Steven starts off his opening quote, you were like, Oh, I know this voice from anywhere. I was like, No, I don't think so. I've never seen this guy. And then we looked it up and he's he's in Game of Thrones as well. Oh, I don't, that's right. Yeah. Yes, he's um 
yeah, so the the I don't know if I would say the main character, but the main character the first episode I'd say is probably Steven. Yeah, he's in Game of Thrones and he plays the new Dario Naharis. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, you know that there's multiple actors, but the newer Dario Naharis. He's in he's in a lot of stuff actually. He's also in the Age of Adeline, if you've seen that. But the, yeah, the cast is really good and they do even though it's a really big time jump, I think they do a good job with the kids of making me understand which kid is which in the adult version. But yeah, this episode really follows like seems like one of their first days in Hill House. The timeline's really all out of order in the episode, but there's they're looking for a key to a room that's got a red door. And not only does this room have a red door, which sets it apart, it's like there's like a three-story spiral staircase that leads up to it. This shot, it's you, there's a wonderful shot of young Shirley running up this spiral staircase. And I just want to know, like, I want a blueprint plan of what this house is supposed to look like because who thinks of that? That's just such a not practical thing. It's like the outside of the house almost looks like there was a brick house and they built on half a castle to it. I think noting the layout of the house is an interesting point because we will find out some more information later on. It kind of reveals the fact that, you know, maybe in in some people's when they're... <laughs> you trying to be non-spoilery? Yeah. <laughs> noting the layout of the house is interesting because someone in this family is interested in designing houses, which we will learn in a later episode, you know, really putting thought into what is the focus of a house or, you know, what is the main place where we're going to be spending time. And so noting that this is strange, I think is a nod. It's imp- okay, good. So I'm catching yeah. on. I'm seeing what they want me to see. Yeah. Great. So can you explain what exactly this family is doing in this house? Because they don't, they don't, do they own the house? Are they living there? Yeah. So they, he does allude to it a little bit when the dad is talking to Nell. They bought the house. They plan to renovate it and then make a lot of money for it and then, you know, move on to another house after this. Okay. So they're like house flippers. It's yeah. interesting because you see some scenes of them like messing around with the fireplace or the chimney or something. And that area definitely looks like it's kind of under construction, whereas the bedrooms look more or less fine. And the house, clearly, I mean, we know it's called the Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's going to be some sort of haunting ghost element. But we have the youngest daughter, Nell, who's keeps waking up in the middle of the night because she says that there is a bent neck lady who is like near her bed. And throughout the episode, we're going to realize like initially it's kind of treated like, oh, she's just imagining things or whatever. But there's some slightly weird things like there's a scene at the beginning where the dad keeps closing her bedroom door and he closes it three different times and it opens three times, I noticed. And there's a really, really great shot where the camera has been still in the hallway for a long time and the dad closes the door again and leaves and then the camera starts to move slowly toward the door like you're about to go in there and then it just cuts to a different scene. And I love that. I don't know why. Like little things like that add the suspense and they're trying to, they're trying to get me, but I've already seen it and I was watching the (laughs) subtitles and like the sound was on like two. Yeah. So I can barely hear it. This is, you know, the fifth or sixth time that I've watched this because not only did I watch it, you know, previously, but I've introduced other people to the show. That scene when I was watching it last night still like scared me, right? Because there's the sudden he's sitting down into the bed and it, it's kind of loud, right? And you're, yeah, and it is. It's, it's very a loud quiet transition. Beforehand. 
So right, it's still you're, shocked me. Uh. You're all like tense because you think uh-huh. something's going to happen. You're going to go into the room and then they just cut to him in the dad's room. We find out throughout the episode that she's certainly not imagining this woman because later on she's going to move. Nell's going to move to sleep on the couch in the living room for a night. And we see at least some the, the sort of the shadowy figure of a woman with dark hair hanging over her. Yeah, similar to I've never seen the ring, but it seems like it's similar to similar-ish, that. yeah. Female who comes out of the well. Right, dark hair hanging over her. Yeah. I also noticed, and I don't know how if I'm really supposed to know if this was like the same person or not, but in that initial scene when they do cut back to Nell in bed again and the doors open again, at the very end of the scene when she goes to bed, you see like a very pale face sort of coming from behind her. I don't know if that's the same person or not. Yeah, I think we're led to believe that. And that's one of the other things about this is it's a show that does have a lot of dark tones. So watching it completely in the dark is going to help you out a lot to pick out some of those nuances but that that character that we see in the beginning actually does have a bent neck right her head is to the side and Mm -hmm. there's something off about this that we see much like game of thrones helps if you watch in the dark (laughs) so then another couple things we get from these flashback scenes of the of their summer living in this house is there's a there's a couple who works at the house the dudley family and mr dudley appears to be helping renovate the house and mrs dudley i guess is doing some other sort of household type job yeah it seems like mostly the cleanup and maybe preparing meals yeah it looks like it and there's an interesting conversation here between mrs dudley the mom and steven about religion where it appears that mrs dudley is pretty religious and she says that people need jesus for light in the dark and the night and then steven has been taught even at such a young age it looks like all sorts of like different religions and theologies and he says the mom says he knows greek mythology as well and that he reads a lot of Shakespeare and um, she said like Carl Sagan too I think there was like a whole list of things that she said that he is doing just so that he like wouldn't be taught one belief but that he would grow up knowing lots of different ways of thinking yeah so I think we know that the Crane family really values information and having uh, thoughts of your own but actually talking about Mrs. Dudley reminded me that in the book there is a character who is the caretaker of the house um, I believe it's I don't remember if it's a couple or not but I, I know for sure that there's a maid type character who prepares the meals for the people who are visiting. It's similar to the Dudleys where they don't stay on the property after midnight and they live close by, but they don't actually live at in the, the house. house. Gotcha. Yes. Which is a little unique considering the house is so big and could probably easily house them as well. And then we have another scene of Luke, who's the youngest son, and he has a tree house. And the main thing I noted here is that he appears to be drawing the same picture of a girl over and over. And the girl is like a little bit creepy. She has like a really big gaping black mouth. So I'm assuming that we're going to get more about that <laughs> soon. When we see these pictures, Stephen asks, where do you come up with the ideas? And he says they just come to him and so I I don't know that we know exactly where he's seeing these images yes so I just wanted to note that and then of course by the end of the episode we have this whole sequence of the father who I note has a bandaged hand and he is telling Stephen that they need to get out of the house and run and he's telling him to be quiet and you hear like some loud thumps moving around some 
someone's moving around in the hallway. There's like a whole thing that I noticed was like 20 seconds long of just a door handle very slowly twisting back and forth while they're standing there watching it. So someone clearly outside. And then the dad says like, we're going to run to the car. I need, I'm going to carry you, close your eyes and don't open them. Just for a couple seconds, you see as they're running, there's a woman in a light colored dress who's sort of like, sort of chasing after them, but she seems to be running kind of weird. It's not like, I don't know, she doesn't appear to be running straight. She's sort of thumping down the hallway behind them and they get to the car and there's all the other kids there. The door slams behind them and they're all, all the kids are freaking out. They're like, where's mom? We're not leaving without her, but they leave. And as they drive away, you see a woman in the window upstairs. And so I think this is like, I'm led to believe the big event that happens in the house for why they need to leave. Yeah, so we don't know exactly what led them to leave the house, but we definitely see that they leave in a hurry. They leave without the mom. We do also learn that the mom died in the house. We are told that it's suicide. Mm -hmm. So there's there's not too much that we're given, but it's definitely enough to whet your appetite and really leave you hooked to know like what is going on with this house. Yeah, it's very interesting. There's, like you said, there's a couple other flashbacks that happen that are sort of like pre-present time and one is of the father talking to like a publicist or a lawyer or somebody. A lawyer, yeah. And he's saying that he like doesn't want anyone going near the house. They're, he's not going to sell it. No press. No one can talk to the kids, but the Dudleys are allowed to stay on, but no other staff. And that's where we hear that the, the mom committed suicide in the house. And, and the kids are like very confused because they don't know. It doesn't seem like he's really told them what happened. And then like there's another flashback because we find out that Steve has written a book about his time in Hill House and like I guess their family stories. There's some tension there. And this just reminded me a lot, maybe because it's topical of Umbrella Academy because I was watching <laughs> that recently. Similar kind of thing is like one of the kids writes a book, but the other kids are all upset because like, oh, you told our stories. And Steve's like, hey, well, all we had at the time was just like quotes from tabloids and we didn't really know what happens and we still don't know. And one of the other things that is kind of pointing to the title of the episode is that Stephen really doesn't believe that what he's what his siblings saw in the house and their experiences were truly ghosts but he writes them off and he's telling all these ghost stories but he himself has never experienced a ghost until later. It seems like a lot of the other kids at this point maybe have or so. I mean I would believe at this point Nell definitely has. She's seen something okay. That woman she opens her eyes and there's a woman standing over her on the couch and then I presume since Luke's in the same room I'm gonna guess that he maybe has seen that and then we don't know we the the character we really don't get almost anything about at least in child form this episode is theo there's like almost none of her she's mumbling in her sleep at one point no that was even shirley Oh, was that Shirley? Never yeah. mind. So I don't even know if Theo was in the beginning at all. Yeah, she's she's in the beginning and he's like, should I go get mom and dad? And Steven says, no, Theo, just go back to bed. So okay. she's very briefly, like, if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss her completely. Yeah, you're going to miss her. And a possible. lot of the kids, like, the first time I watched it, I know a lot of the kids, I was like, oh, they all look the same. I don't really know which one's which. <laughs> it's easier to tell by episode two. The rest of the episode is present day. There's sort of two main things going on here. We've got Steven, who is this famous author, and he's been called to the house of a woman named Irene Walker whose husband has recently passed away and she says that she's being like visited by his ghost kind of she describes like a car accident that he was in that it's I really like the way she speaks she I think she could write a good story she she tells the story I mean this is terrible but she tells the story of her husband's car accident in a very theatrical way yeah and so we find out through this episode Stephen basically stays over at night and kind of pieces together like 
like logical reasons why she could have thought that he was a ghost when really it's like there's car noises outside that sound similar to things she's imagining. There's like a leak in her ceiling that's dripping on her that she thinks is rain, etc. But in the end of the episode, he decides that he like will write a book about her story. So I don't know if he kind of comes around to just liking her or realizing that she's a big fan of his or what. I thought that was kind of interesting that he kind of changed tact at the end. Well, and I don't even know if he truly changed tact. It's his way of explaining away things that happened to him as a kid, right? Mm -hmm. He has to be very logical about things and give a reason for all of the the items that are happening. And these are just preternatural, right? These are just things that we don't yet understand. And so... Right. Can you talk about that? Because he he goes in this discussion of like supernatural versus, I guess, preternatural. His argument is that things that people assume are supernatural are just things that we don't yet understand, right? Before you know about the moon, it's a very elusive thing. And you could just think that some person is controlling it and pulling it up every night, right? You you, you know, before you understand that we're actually rotating around the sun and Mm -hmm. the earth has its moon that rotates around it. And I don't remember exactly what he says, but basically everything that is about ghosts is actually just items that we don't yet understand, but there's nothing super about it. Right. It's just so he he wants to explain away everything and and logic his way out of it. He's very for a for a writer who's written all these sort of ghost stories. It's interesting that he's so upfront with the people talking to him about like his belief that they don't exist. You would almost think as like a publicity move, maybe he should be pretending to buy into it some but maybe that's what people think is so interesting about him you wouldn't think of a magician who just runs around saying well magic's not really real right i'm gonna debunk everything that you think is magic right you keep the illusion alive and you want people to buy into the idea that would sell your books (laughs) exactly and then so the other main story that's happening is shirley who runs a funeral home with i believe her husband it looks like it looks like she's running the funeral home like that it's also her house i think Yeah. Is that normal? Maybe. You know, I have not been around funeral homes too frequently, but I think most of them tend to be separate businesses. A lot of the siblings, right? We have Shirley who's running a funeral home. Theo who actually lives behind Shirley's house in a guest house. Yeah, it looks like she lives like in a converted garage or guest house or something. And we know that she doesn't like to get close to people. She keeps boundaries, right? And then there's Luke who is in rehab, but at the end, you know, he came to Steve's apartment and raided it and he doesn't look like he's in great shape. So there's potential that he's using again. Mm -hmm. And then the last sibling, right, Nell, she's reaching out to her siblings for help and ends up going back to Hill House. And at the end, we do learn that she killed herself in Hill House. There's a lot going on with mostly Shirley and Nell and Steven in this episode. The majority of it is Nell reaching out to her older siblings and trying to get help. There's a lot of phone tag throughout this episode. Either Nell calls and they hang up on her or they try to call her and she doesn't answer. She calls their father at one point, who seems to be the only one who's really taking Nell seriously. She calls and he can tell she's sort of wigged out and he immediately starts packing and trying to drive to where she is. Whereas the other siblings seem to be, particularly Theo, like, eh, this is always Nell. Everything's an emergency. She always acts like this. You know, her life is, what did they say? Like one, one foot on a banana peel, the other foot in trouble or something like that. I don't know what it is, but it's something, something like that. It definitely seems like there's been a lot of tension among the siblings over the years, some of which is from Stephen's book and some of which seems to be because of Nell's behavior. Obviously, like you mentioned, Luke's is in rehab, so I imagine that can't be easy on the family as well. I kind of like the fact that Theo lives behind Shirley, at least. So at least there's like 
like two of them who are on speaking terms and live near each other. That's that's good. Everyone else seems to be a little bit spread out. Well, yeah. And so we, I believe that we know Hill House is in Massachusetts, right? And yes. Shirley and Theo are close by. And, and they're in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Luke, Nell, and Stephen all live on the West Coast. Yeah. I think they mentioned that Stephen lives in LA, although he's currently not there because he's right. working on this job. I don't know where that was. And then it sounds like the father was in, I think they said Florida, Jacksonville. And then there's some really good shots here. Like one of my favorite ones is the one where Nell is calling her father and you just see her face and you can tell she's sitting in a car, but you don't know where she is until the end. And like you kind of figure out, they turn and you see she's staring at Hill House and all the lights are on in Hill House before she goes in. So that's, that's crazy. And then of course, at the very end, which is where we get the title of this episode, Steve comes home and that's where you said like Luke is leaving. He's stealing some of his stuff and he's not in good shape. He's like shivering and and just doesn't seem to be doing well. But Stephen is, I don't know if I would say that he's like being a good brother here because he gives him money or if like maybe the better thing to do would have been not give him money. I don't know. Well, and I think some of that is based off of the relationship that these siblings have had growing up, right? There's going to be context there that we'll get more into later on that they, like Theo said, have boundaries and they've started to shut down certain aspects and not maybe not try to help as much. Right. Steve goes upstairs and you see Nell's there and he's kind of like, oh, Nell, good thing you're here, I guess, whatever. And he's talking and you know something's off. And then at the end, he gets a phone call from his dad who's like, hey, I'm at Hill House. Nell is dead. And then we see that the Nell in Steve's room, I don't know how to describe her face sort of turns almost to stone, but then sort of like starts cracking and she screams and then disappears. So there you go, Steve. Took you long enough, but you've now seen a ghost. (laughs) That's not what I would choose to be my first interaction with a ghost, seeing my dead sibling. It's definitely an interesting one. (laughs) Like you said, it's a very character-based show. So there's a lot of other little things. Like we know that something's going on with Steve's marriage because at one point we see him, when they do a flashback, he has his wife, Lee. And then in the modern day, it seems like he's having marriage issues, doesn't live with his wife anymore. We're not exactly sure, but he doesn't appear to be confiding in his family very much over that. But it seems like Lee was one of the people pushing for him to write this book in the first place. So maybe that didn't go down with well with the family. But overall, I mean, I really like the first episode. I love the music and the style of the show. I think, like you mentioned, the flashing back and forth on those particular lines. It does a good job of building suspense without just jump scares. The jump scares are usually actually not scary scenes. It's just sort of jarring. Whereas a lot of the more actual scary moments with the ghosts, you're seeing it the whole time. They slowly pan up and you see the woman with the with the long hair like it's not it's not a jump scare it's a slow build and I I like how they're not just resorting to those same tropes right it's it's building tension and then sometimes you get a relief from it but other times you're just left with an eerie feeling afterwards and and I agree you know some of the horror movies that I would watch was more so to make fun of them or pick them apart because they can have a lot of tropes and terrible things about them but this really has character development and there's so many other things that have it going for it that you know you you can sometimes forget that it's a scary show although you know you may want to watch something else before going to bed still yeah I'm still one of those people like I've got to have my you know watch an episode of how I met your mother or something before I go to bed just to kind of cleanse but so let's break down a couple little segments here from the episode you suggested so I'm assuming there's going to be more that we keep a running death toll because I know that clearly not just with horror but everything we've seen so far death is going to be a theme in this show and we 
we got three people who either died or had died in this episode. The mom for, I guess, killing herself, which we don't really know how that happened or exactly what went down there, but that's what we've heard. Nell, obviously, by the end of the episode. And then there's another character, which is sort of a subplot going on where a family is working with Shirley at the funeral home to set up a funeral. And there's like a kid who doesn't want to attend the funeral or look at his grandmother anymore. And Shirley's kind of talking him into the situation to get comfortable with it. She seems to do a lot. Not only just runs this funeral home, but seems to be kind of the, not exactly a therapist, but like a little bit with this kid as well. Yeah. And I think that later on we'll learn more about Shirley and why she enjoys her her job that she has. Okay. For some other things, what do you think was the scariest moment of this episode? So for me, I have to go with Nell's ghost, right? Yeah. We see her and she's haunting Steven and it's, it's one of those things where when you first watch it, right, you know there's something off about it, but you don't quite know until you hear the words like, Nell's dead. Yeah, it's a moment that I think if you were paying more attention, maybe you'd be ready for. For me, it was like I knew something was off because she wasn't really talking to him and she was just kind of standing in the corner. You're like, oh, something's not right here. What is it? Like, why wouldn't Luke have mentioned that he saw Nell upstairs? Like, oh, something's happening. Or even connecting the fact that like, oh, the house is in Massachusetts, but he's over on the West Coast. Like, there's no way that she could actually be there right now. Right, exactly. When I watched it the first time, I didn't even see what happened. I just closed my eyes at the end and you guys were like, oh, he saw Nell's ghost. And like, I didn't, I didn't even know what that was until the second time I saw it. Because I'm a wimp. Okay, whatever. And then just, just to keep things light, because I think there are some funny lines here. What the funniest part was, I have a couple little small moments. There's a whole exchange at the beginning where I think it is it Shirley who's asleep, who's mumbling about that she says dancing in the red room. And then she says the pandas don't eat macaroni or something. Pandas don't like macaroni. And I thought that was cute. And then there's like a whole exchange where Theo brings a girl back to her, I don't know, house, guest house, apartment, whatever it is behind Shirley's house. And then Shirley's kind of like teasing her and she's like, oh my gosh, you, you're worse than a guy. You're like a frat guy <laughs> just bringing these people home and then kicking them out. So I thought that exchange was kind of funny. I don't know if there's really anything else that's like, haha, makes you laugh out loud. <laughs> Not as much in this episode. There's sometimes where you have to search for the humor, but I, I definitely agree that the pandas don't eat macaroni was a, a pretty good line. Yeah. Even if it was from someone in their sleep. Yes. Do you have any other segments you want to go through? Yeah. So I have a couple of propositions for would you rather that are kind of based on this episode. And I kind of want to hear which, which option you would choose. Some of them, both options may not be great. For the first one, would you rather be haunted by the bent neck lady in your own home or spend a night in Hill House alone? Oh, neither of these. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, these are terrible. I think, I think I'd probably rather be haunted by the bent neck lady. At least so far, it doesn't look like the bent neck lady is like doing anything to her. Like not, I mean, she's scary, but she's not touching her or anything. And at least I would know that like my family is there in my own home as well. Ooh, that's just going to traumatize you as a kid though. But I think, I, I don't think, I don't think you could pay me a million dollars. I would not stay in Hill House by myself. No. Well, whoever walks there walks alone. So. <laughs> okay. And then another one would be, would you rather be a ghost hunter and write about it or run a funeral home? Yeah, I think I, I think I if I was someone who didn't believe in ghosts, I think I'd rather be the ghost hunter and write about it. If I did believe in ghosts, maybe that'd be worse. But if I just like was logicking my way out of everything like Steven appears to be doing, I think I'd rather. What about you on that one? So that's a good, you know, I didn't think you'd turn it back on me. 
<laughs> well, I don't know that I could be around dead people that much. Like, I yeah. Think, and it's also so hard because when people are coming to you uh, for a funeral, it's like some of the lowest time in their life. And some of that's got to rub off on you. And I feel like that's one of those where, you know, especially if the funeral home is your house, like work really comes home with you and it could, it would wear on you day after day. I think the emotional toll would get to me. Yeah. And I know we don't know much about Shirley's funeral home, but I know that like from some experiences I have had with friends, losing loved ones, etc. They've said that like people don't think about it this way, but that the funeral industry in some ways is similar to the wedding industry of like can be very costly and, and take advantage of you. Take advantage of people when they're time. Yeah. I think that that's something else. I just don't think I could. I don't know. I think I'd rather be a writer who could write in the daylight and not think about the ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> so another aspect of the show is that we'll see a lot of ghosts, right? There's some hauntings well, going on. Well, I would on. hope so with, a, yeah, with the title. Exactly. Uh, but we'll also see some things that maybe aren't ghosts. So I wanted to kind of go through the possibilities that we have from this episode, right? So the first one would be the bent neck lady. Right. We don't know much about her or her past. Because she only appears to be in the room when Nell is either by herself or with Luke or Luke's asleep. I guess we don't know the difference here between like what's a ghost versus like what could be a real person or something. Right. And so we don't know. The Another possibility is there's someone like caressing the dad when he's in the bed alone in Jacksonville, right? We see an arm come over him, but then he turns over and there's no one there. And there's some of these moments where I'm like, is it, are they asleep? Are they dreaming? Is it like a hallucination? So yeah, that's definitely another one. Well, and there are some times where we do see dreams. And so I don't necessarily include those moments in here. Okay, but gotcha. um, then another possible ghost is there's something running after Steven and the dad as they leave the house. And the dad says that it wasn't the mom. So, I mean, we don't know what this thing is, but there was definitely something in the house. And then Luke mentions the name Abigail. And he said, I saw Abigail in the window. So, I caught that too. I don't know who Abigail is at this point, but yeah, I did catch Luke when they're leaving. Luke says, I saw Abigail in the window and then they pan up and we do see a woman in the window. So I guess we're led to believe it's Abigail. But to me, and I think to Steve, it looked more like potentially his mom. So that's something I want to, hopefully they'll explain at some point. Yeah. I'm going to assume that all my questions will get answered throughout this. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good assumption to have, I think. And it's a very hopeful one. So for now, we have four possible ghosts. And in the following episodes, we'll revisit these and when we reveal more about them, we'll either verify them or we can debunk them. Awesome. There's also just a couple things that are like, I guess we can keep track of some of the strange things going on in the house. Nell and Luke's door, like we mentioned, was open multiple times after the dad shuts it. And then the other one is, and I'm not exactly sure if this is a strange happening yet or not, but the twisting of the doorknob when we don't know if there's someone there behind it or not is one that I just want to include because yeah. we know that there's someone in the hallway, but I don't know if that was the same person or what. And one other that I actually just thought of is in this episode we have Nell and Shirley trying to unlock the red door and Nell mentions that she saw something moving underneath it. When the key that they have doesn't work, they walk away and we actually do see a shadow there. So even though they can't get into the room, we know that there's something in that room. I did notice that too. And one last thing, it's not necessarily a strange happening but it was an interesting note is that we hear a crack noise and then at the end, all of Nell's siblings wake up and it's at 3.03 a.m. Eastern time, right? So Steven's on the West Coast and we see him. We don't see a clock with Luke, but we're to assume it's the same time because we see it all happen. And it's just one of 
those things that's kind of like, huh, wonder why Yeah, that all happens. of the siblings wake up at the exact same time and several of them are like clutching their throat too when that happens. Definitely something interesting that we can keep track of. That's really the first episode. We're going to keep these podcasts pretty short because if you know anything about me, it's that I have issues with editing. So we're going <laughs> to make them short because we're going to pop these out. We got it. We have a time limit. We got a month, one day less than a month at this point to get these out when we're recording these. So hopefully you can enjoy them throughout September and the beginning of October. They'll probably be coming out fairly frequently, probably like two times a week is what the plan is. And we'll we'll check back in if, if for some reason that's not going well. But you know, <laughs> let's just put good vibes out there. Let's say it's going to work. Let's say this plan for some reason, I just need a deadline, right? That's what I yeah. need. And it's going to be great. Since I got roasted for critiquing your editing skills before, I will remain <laughs> silent on this podcast about it. Awesome. All right, everyone, feel free to send us comments and questions to our website or on Twitter at KowskiCast. That's Cow with a K. You can also check out all of our other podcasts on the website or on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcatcher is. We've got Twilight, Riverdale, Revenge, some one-offs like the MCU, some old Survivor stuff, all kinds of things that might be coming in the future. You can follow me online at Frail Mary, and you can follow Hannah at HannahV.exe on Instagram. Hannah with two N's, two A's, and one H. (laughs) (laughs) And if you enjoyed this podcast, we would love it if you left a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It is the best way for people to find our show in the future, and if you leave us a five-star review with a comment, we'll read it on the podcast. Yes, please do. Okay, everyone, that's all for this week's episode. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next time for our coverage of episode two, Open Casket. For now, we're the Kowski Cast. Thanks for listening. Bye!